Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So today on the podcast, I have on myself. <laughs> I do a, uh, a solo episode. So it's a throwback to the beginning of the podcast when I used to do a bunch of these solo episodes. And, and I want to continue to to get some of these recorded when I have good information that I want to get out there um, and, and just mix them in with the good guests that we have. And, and I've got some, some really good guests coming up. I'm pumped. I'm recording a really good one, uh, live one Friday, live one Saturday with one of my buddies. Uh, got a recording Thursday, um, and, and also sitting on some really good recordings with some really good hunters. So, gonna keep releasing those things, and and just trying to build up a few as hunting season's coming, and and I I want to go for it, you know, and 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 have one built up or a few built up that I can release as I'm gone for a week, and and then record the trials and tribulations of this hunting season. I I just can't wait. I, you know, I've been doing this thing almost a year now, and and uh, to try to record and capture some of these moments I'm gonna have both in the field when I get back from these hunts have on the buddies that I'm going with or, or cameraman or you know whoever I'm with but just really really excited for the the future of this podcast and just keep evolving this thing and growing this thing into something so um, today's solo episode let me know what you guys think um, if you guys like them if it's good information you know I'm always asking for feedback and a lot of you guys are really good at getting me feedback so sure appreciate that and all the support um, today's sponsor for the podcast is Eastman's Hunting Journals. So just want to thank those guys. Um, three generations of Western hunting. Uh, they just put out great products and, and they believe in everything I do, whether it's the, the filming, the writing, this podcast. They've just been great partners. And um, I, I just can't thank them enough. They, they work really hard at putting out the best content out there. And, and uh, they're, they're just a, a, a great company and I'm proud to be a part of it. And uh, I just can't believe that I that I actually get checks in the mail from writing and and podcasts and different things. And and uh, even though we're still trying to grow things, it, it's just unreal to me to get a check from the hunting industry. And just uh, it's been a dream of mine since I was a twenty year old kid and been working at it for years to try to build into something. And I never knew that was going to be a podcast, but um, I sure am happy it is. And I, I love this platform. So anyways, I just want to thank Eastman for being partners and, and believing in all these ventures and really pushing them. They're just a great company. Um, what we have going on at Eastman's, uh, I did this on the, the last episode. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't do a lot of promo codes, but we do have a promo code in there at Eastman's Hunting Journal on the website where you can get a good deal. Um, $20 will get you a, a subscription to both magazines for a year. So that's 12 issues. Um, 20 bucks. If, if you want an elk call, there'll be a place to click on that. They'll send you a, a Primos Timberline call, I believe. Um, all you got to do is pay for shipping and handling. So the code is uh, elevated six one seven. So if you guys aren't subscribed to the magazine, um, like I say, we just pour our heart and soul into these articles, and um, I'm finishing up a couple right now that I'm really proud of that I'm turning in. One for our thirteenth episode, which is a, a digital episode. I believe it's digital only, not real sure on the details, but uh, I'll have the details here in the future as right now we're still a month behind where we're just turning in articles, but turning in one for that and uh, one on the that's going to go on the digital platform as well um, that's going to be on the blog. So just really fun to be able to write and be able to be able to do things in the outdoor industry. Like I say, I, um, 
I'm just so so blessed and fortunate for what I have and, and how much I get to hunt. And I just got a really good thing going over there and just want to continue to work hard for those guys. And, and this promo code is part of it. And, you know, it shows um, shows our, our listeners and, and how much power we have here at the podcast is, is we're really building a good group of guys that are just really hardcore hunters. And, and I like that our roots are just blue collar you know, do-it-yourself bow hunting. Um, I just think that's so neat. It's it's what I want to stand for and, and what I've wanted to stand for for so many years. So just a really cool deal. So um, w- without any further ado, here I here I come on the podcast. So probably do. It's really tough to start out. Uh, I gotta I gotta work on a on an intro that I can do for the podcast. But I just focus so much on the content and getting you guys good content, good guests, and. Uh, as you guys know or heard me complain about before, I'm not the most tech savvy, and it's tough to get an intro or music that that everybody likes. But uh, I'll be working on that in the future, so look for that. And um, here we go. I'll introduce myself again. Uh, enjoy the podcast. All right, uh, throwback here to a solo episode. I, I've been doing so many of these podcasts, and and I've had really good guests and really good conversations. Um, but I also really enjoyed doing these solo episodes. You know, I could just get out so much information. And so I decided to lock myself in my office today and record a solo one. I think it's so important to get one out on scouting right now this time of year. So we're coming up on July 1st. And July 1st is kind of my date where I start scouting really hard. And so you know, I just wanted to talk over, you know, some different species and, and different places I scout and, uh, you know, how I scout effectively to, to make sure my season's going to be successful. Um, so the truth of the matter is, is I, uh, we, we went on this podcast tour and we went all the way down through Idaho, did these four different companies, just a great podcast tour. And, and, uh, then we were coming home and I really wanted to record one with, with Guy and Ike and Brandon Mason. And so we were going to do one in the motel room, but we were just so short on time. And so we tried to record one in the truck. So, um, the, the recording went great, sounded great in my headphones, but, but as I got back and, and started listening to it, um, man, I, I just, um, the mics were a little quiet or I had a couple that were a little quiet and a little feedback either from the truck or, or the mic and the headphone amp being so close together. So it's just your worst fear as a podcast is you record some really good content, some really good content with your bosses, by the way, and, and then get done and, and you don't have a good recording that you can put out. I mean... I could put it out, but it, it'd just be tough to listen to where you'd be turning the volume up and down. And, and maybe I can send it to some sort of a professional that, that's a little bit better on the tech side of editing where he could make it listenable. But, um, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd hold that one back and, and uh, take a hit on my pride and tell those guys at Eastman's that the recording just isn't very good high quality. Um, so I spent a few hours messing with it, trying to make it come out and Although you can hear it, it's just it's just not a great recording. And also, you've got the background of the road noise, a little bit of feedback, and then um, it seems like Brandon and Guy's mics are pretty quiet. And and I think, you know, you just live and learn. God, you got to pay attention to the details. And that's me being a podcaster. Is I've gotten pretty good now at making sure I'm getting quality audio, making sure I'm recording in the right room. I get everybody's levels right. But the tough thing is, is that it doesn't always feedback into the computer like I hear it in my headphones. 
Um, so I've got to pay attention to that and, and maybe even do like a test audio, listen to it, make sure everything works right and just pay attention to the details. And so we're in this truck and me and Ike are trying to set it up in the back seat and we've got wires going everywhere. And, and it sounded really good through the headphones. We laid down a really good long scouting podcast, just some great information. Uh, me and Guy went back and forth on scouting tips. So you'll hear me in this podcast, I'll quote Guy quite a bit on some of his information and and uh you know me and guy will get together and we'll do another podcast here i just know he's busy trying to go to the northwest territories him and ike you know i'm busy starting to get going on my scouting and um summer's just been crazy it summer for construction is really busy and then trying to do the podcast and oh i got a couple more deadlines on articles i got to get out and and i love it you know it's my passion i love doing it um, but but it's just been really busy, you know, full days of work and then full evenings of working on things with the podcast and, and writing and different things. So so anyways, I thought I'd sit down today, record one on scouting just so I can get it out to you guys so you guys can have some good information to go on the field scouting, you know, here this summer so, so you're ready for season. So um, maybe I'll start with elk. And so um, elk scouting, you know, a lot of us will be scouting for the rut. And for the rut, um, you know, it's scouting for elk as far as effectiveness, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably like a four or five because where you find elk in the summertime is not always where you find elk during the rut. Um, those bulls, they'll just, uh, they're winter or they're summer and in bachelor groups, um, they're living up high. They're not with the cows where when the rut kicks on, they're going down and finding the cows and they'll move tens of miles from where they summer to where they rut. So when I'm scouting elk, a lot of what I'm scouting is I'm scouting the country. And so I'm in there and I'm looking for sign and I'm looking for rubs. And and rubs, um, you, you've also got to look at rubs and make sure that they're not wintering bulls. Um, wintering bulls will scrape when they're trying to shed their their horns. Um, but they also, you know, of course, uh, rub during the rut. And so you want to find those rut rubs. Um, you want to look for those. You want to look for wallers. You want to look for good vantage points. I focus a lot on elk in their feeding feature. And so, you know, I, I don't focus as much in their bedding feature. I want to focus where I can see them, and it just seems like when I go after elk in the thick cover, I end up blowing them out a lot more so than I than I do getting on them. And so, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to go through country, and I'm trying to look for sign, and I'm trying to look for rubs and wallers, and I'm trying to look at feeding features. and And if you see elk, it's a bonus, but but I'm really not looking to see elk. I'm looking to scout the country, and I'm I'm looking for trails to get me into country. Um, like I say, always looking for a master vantage point. I, I always believe in the spot and stock, and that's how I hunt a lot. And when you're hunting the feeding features and where you can see elk, you need to find the the places that unlock a lot of good feeding features. And and, and I like to I like to hunt elk, you know, on all sides of the mountains, but I, I really like the feeding features on the south sides of the mountains. So I'm always trying to look for a high point that'll kind of show me a bunch of really good features in elk country and so uh, I'm hiking in a lot and and whenever I'm scouting you know anything whether it's it's elk or whether it's deer whether it's antelope you know whatever unit you draw and you want to get a feel for the unit and so the first day or two of scouting in a unit you know I, I just simply you know 
drive around and not that I truck hunt or anything, but I want to get a feel or a broad sense of, of what that unit has to offer. And so, you know, I'll just take my truck and I'll drive around throughout the unit in the main roads and I'll drive to the main trail accesses. Um, and I'm just kind of glassing up and just kind of getting a feel for what the country looks like. And, and so I do that with elk when I'm hunting elk. You know, a lot of it is just cruising around and I'm glassing morning and evenings. Of course, I want to try to see elk. Um, you know, so I'm glassing mornings and evenings, but you know, really, I'm just looking at the country and looking at where the access trails are, where the closed roads are and that. And so I kind of get a feel for the unit that way. And then, you know, elk, I'm diving into different drainages and I'm I'm hiking up those drainages and I always have a plan, whether I'm, I'm hunting or scouting, you know, I have a plan that I'm going to get in and I'm going to work this ridge and I'm going to glass down off this ridge and see what, I, what it has to offer here and I'm going to make it to this vantage point and I'm going to camp here. And so I do a lot of moving around and looking at those. Um, you, you know, I talked about the scrapes and making sure that they're that they're scrapes that are made during the rut. And and really, I kind of tell the difference just in elevation. The lower the rubs are, you know, the lower in elevation they are, I find that those are usually wintering bulls. And, and the higher they are, you know, in, around wallers and around rutting zones, you know, I tend to find that those are the ones made during the rut. Um, so, so I really try to focus on that and focus on the fine and uh, focus on the on the area um, and, and finding good areas. You know, is is really my focus during elk scouting. Um, you know, and as we move in, I'd say you know, um, so so that's scouting for the rut and and definitely you know pre rut for bulls. They're going to be up higher on the mountain, going to be running solo or even in small bachelor herds like the 1st of September, you know, the last part of August when our season's open. They'll be up high on the mountains kind of living like a mule deer. During the rut or peak rut, they're going to come down, find those cows. They're going to be working uh, big drainages, you know, big open meadows and and elk, they work a circuit of country. So they, they don't just, you know, a deer can live in a small space, you know, that's that's a couple hundred yards by a couple hundred yards, and that's all they move in. A lot of times it's bigger than that, maybe a few hundred yards by a few hundred yards, a half mile by half a mile is be the country they live in. Um, but but elk, they really move around, and they have a circuit of feeding features and, and bedding features and, and water that they grab. And so, you know, an elk spot isn't good all the time. I don't have one elk spot that I can go through the entire time of September and always find elk in. It seems like every spot has timing. And, and so I'll go into a spot and, and it'll be good the second week of September. And, and that's give or take too on the conditions. You know, it can hit a little bit earlier, or a little bit later. So when I'm elk hunting, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is covering country looking for elk. And, and so when I'm scouting, I'm scouting multiple different drainages, knowing that I'm going to come in here and check if there's elk in here. And if they aren't elk here, you know, I might come back a week later or the week after that and check that same drainage and it might be full of elk. Um, but they really work a circuit of features, you know. So, so I try to pay attention to that and I try to scout multiple different drainages so I have multiple options. And, and, and when I'm hunting elk, you know, I used to go in and hunt them and I, I try to stay eight, 10 days in a spot. And I just found that that wasn't very conducive for, for hunting elk. Um, it, it seemed like, 
you know, I'd, I'd either be in the elk in three, four days, I'd have them chased out of there, or they'd move on. Um, but it's really hard to keep an elk for eight, 10 days, unless you're in like a central camp spot where you can go every direction to different elk features. And so when I hunt elk, a lot of times I'm just making a a three, four day assault into a drainage and then come out. And sometimes it's a, it's a one, two day assault. And if I don't see what I'm looking for, I'm out and into the next drainage. But I think it's super important when you're hunting elk to be mobile and be able to move around and check different spots. Um, as it gets into the late season of the rut and, uh, second estrus, um, you know, I'd call that late September, early October. I really love to hunt elk this time of year as, as the pressure kind of wanes, you know, everybody takes their vacation time, second, third week in September. By the time it gets October, you know, guys are starting to look towards other hunts or they filled out. Um, but you just don't have the pressure. And so I really like hunting them in this time of year. In fact, I've killed, you know, my last few bulls in October. I've done really well in October. Um, you know, the, the bulls will still rut around and you'll still find them in small groups, uh, of cows and a bull that'll still be rutting some cows. Um, but, but they really like to group up too, as it gets into that later season. And that's where you can see a hundred head of elk work in a spot, you know, maybe coming down into some meadows and, and coming up, you know, back up into the timber. You know, I also find that elk love to walk uphill. They like to come down and feed into meadows and parks and, and openings, and they need that good nutrition in their, in their feed and in their grass that grows in these open meadows. And so, you know, elk almost always go to openings to feed. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time glassing them from. And and like I told you guys, I like to hunt them in their feeding feature. So I'm either stocking them in their feeding feature or hunting them to the transitions to their beds. And when they transition from their feeding features to the beds, they love to walk uphill. They just love to go uphill. And, and so they'll go uphill and find benches and, and cool shading, you know, um, where they can get in there and, and, and then rut. Um, they don't tend to come out into openings towards the middle of the day, but they do get up in the middle of the day. And so if you're glassing dark features during that middle of the day, sometimes you can pick out elk or a group of elk and locate them and then go hunt them. And, and I, I don't hunt them in their beds unless I have their, their exact position. If I have their exact position, well, then I can make you know, this strategic game plan to get around them and get into them and and maybe get a shot on that bull. So that's the only time where I'll hunt them in their beds is if I have their exact position. You know, also you'll watch elk disappear into a patch of timber. You'll think that's where they stop. You know, times that by four or five. It seems like wherever you see them go into a patch of timber and you think, oh, they're right in there. You know, a lot of times a muley buck will bed just inside that timber. In elk, it's like they just keep going. And so, you know, you think you've got them pinpoint. You, you really got to be positive that you can see around all sides of that cover because they will. They'll disappear on you and they'll go four or five times as far as you think they will um, up into the trees. And a lot of where they end up bedding gives you a clue of where they're going to come out feeding. And so, you know, a lot of times they won't come out in the same feature they fed in that morning. They're going to move to a different circuit or a different feeding feature. And so if you can kind of track them either with your glass or be able to coyote them, kind of keeping an eye on them and put them to bed, if you have their exact bedding location, you can get the thermals right and kind of hunt them like a a bedded muley buck and get in on them and try to harvest them that way. If you just have them pinpointed to a group of trees or a timber patch or to a location, you know, that's where I'll try to guess where he's going to come out in the 
the evening and try to set up on that spot and hunt him in the evening when he comes back out where I can see him. Um, so, so elk scouting is a lot about learning the country, learning your unit, learning different vantage point, different drainages, you know, and I'd say the effectiveness is like a four or five because where you find elk, you know, in those summer ranges is not where you're going to find them, you know, when, once it comes rut. And, and then also, you know, I, I like to, if I'm scouting elk for, for a later season, you know, October, they're still in their post rut. They're hanging in big groups. A lot of times they're coming. I also notice in that later season, the food starts to burn off up high. And a lot of these elk come down and they'll hit alfalfa fields. They'll hit uh, uh, lower meadow grass. So they come off those eight, 9,000 foot, you know, big alpine basins and they come down and they start hitting faces in alfalfa, at least in a lot of the country I hunt in Southwest Montana here. Um, so you also want to key in on that as it gets to be that that October. And as it gets into November, you know, that's when these these bulls, you know, late October, early November, when most of the rifle seasons are, that's when these bulls start to split off from the cows. And and some of the the biggest lessons I learned were rifle hunting bulls in this late season. And and the problem I made for a lot of years is I was I was chasing elk and I'd glass up herds of a bunch of elk and there'd be a bunch of cows in there and I could see some white bodies and then I'd go in and I'd go hunt those elk and I'd get in there and I couldn't find a six-point bull. I'd just find younger bulls and I really strive for killing a mature heavy six-point bull and so I spent a lot of my time just chasing these elk because I was good at finding elk and I would find them, roll in on them, okay there isn't a shooter bull, go find the next group, roll in on them, okay not a shooter bull and I started to wonder is is there a freaking six-point bull in this valley or not? Um, and I got frustrated but it, once I learned that these bulls start, start splitting off from the herds of cows and they start hanging in bachelor groups and they start hanging soloed, so they're, they're in smaller groups and they seem to hang up higher and in gnarlier country than the cows. You know, they want to be up in the forest and up in some of these alpine basins. You know, and a lot of where I find elk hanging during this, this late rifle season, I'll find them hanging in the same places they like to rut you know, only in some, some avalanche shoots and they still have to feed on meadow grass, but it seems like they like smaller, more secluded meadows and they like avalanche shoots and they like steep, unpressured country. And so, you know, when you're scouting and scouting for this time of year, you know, I really like finding a master vantage point, same as the rut, but where I'm really looking over a lot of these avalanche shoots in these spots. And, And I really learned a lot. And once I started, I started doing that and started avoiding the big groups of cows and started looking and keying into these bachelor herds and, and solo bulls. Then I started killing some big six points and some big bulls. Um, so that was one of the biggest keys for success for me um, was looking a little bit up higher than the cows, looking at a little bit more gnarly country and looking in these secluded basins. Um, so, so that's you know, when I'm hunting elk, I'm just getting a feel for the country, getting a feel for drainages, and I'm getting myself a bunch of different options. And and this year I'm scouting a, a new range close to the house here. And then, you know, I've, I've got a tag for uh, central Montana that I'm going to go hunt. I'll probably hunt at late September, early October and go pretty hard there. But I, I'm looking at a new range around the house here and, and uh, not just looking to, to expand my knowledge of elk country. And there's been some big bulls come out of there and 
And I just want to have some more options come elk season. If I've got a free weekend or a, a free day, I want to be able to go and hit some of these spots. So, you know, right now I'm starting to think about elk scouting and I'm going to get in and I'm going to work this country. I'm going to look for sign, look for vantage points and just have a feel and have more confidence in this spot. So once season gets here, I can roll in and know that I can get in there and I'm going to be hunting it effectively and I'm not wasting a lot of my time trying to learn the country. Um, so, so I'm starting to think about elk scouting right now. And I'd actually like to get out to central Montana too, is, is I have all these options and places I've learned out there, but I want to expand on that as well. And and right now, you know, I want to get in a lot of these roads that are closed during season are open right now where you can drive and cover more country and look at more. And so I also want to make a trip over there. Um, man, I am just so busy. It's scouting's going to, uh, it, it's going to take a toll on, on, on my time and my weekends and what I can do, but I really want to get out there and expand it. I've got a couple more options that I want to learn and a couple more drainages that I want to learn that I, I think would be really good, but I want to spend my time now hiking in there and getting in there and looking at it and, and having a feel for it. So then season comes and I've got confidence in it, but the, the next animal like that I just love to hunt, you guys all know that I love to hunt muleys, and I really love to hunt high country muleys. So I'll kind of talk about scouting for all different seasons and, and, and different types of hunting mule deer, different terrain and that, but what I love is hunting high country mule deer. I mean, it is just a riot. Like, it, it just tests me. It, it tests me physically, mentally, you know, getting up and in that high country where sheep and goats live and in that gnarly country and being able to try to survive up there and, and the elements. And you guys have heard me talk about lightning and, um, you know, I, I love that. I love challenging myself and, and, and up there really challenges me. Um, it, it makes me work on my conditioning year round. It, it, it's something that I think and dream about all year round. So this year I haven't been too lucky in the draws, but I do have a couple muley tags. I've got one here in Montana, one I picked up in Idaho, and and still thinking about um, one in Colorado picking up one there. So so we'll see. I got a bunch of hunting on my plate. Super excited for this season, but I love hunting high country muleys. Um, that's my jam. So. I, I scout muleys really hard, and as elk scouting, you're not that effective. Mule deer scouting, you're really effective. I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, you're an 8 or a 9 when you're scouting high country muleys because once July 1st hits, and this year is a little bit different with the heavy snow. It may take them a while to get up into that high country and be living that that high country lax attitude. It might be, you know, July 10th, July 15th before they're really up and in there. But I start my scouting July 1st for high country muleys and it's important to scout high country muleys in this early season where you find them in this early season is where you'll find them later around in that same country and so it's super effective and also you just see a ton of deer in that in that summertime that summertime conditions high alpine basins um and they have their red coats on and their red coats just stick out like a sore thumb. And so, you know, you get to pick out those deer a lot easier. And it's it's amazing how tough it is to glass a, a deer in the high country once he gets his gray coat on. They can be right underneath you 500 yards and you never see him. Or they bed down in the wide open and you don't see him. They just really blend in with all the rocks. I mean, they're... Their natural colors and camouflage are blended perfectly to high country hunting. And so... um, 
It's important to get in early when they have their red coats and really take tabs of what's in there and try to find the big mature bucks and the numbers of bucks and where they like to be. Um, so, so I get in early and I start scouting July 1st and, and I'm, I'm hunting, you know, different area than I've ever hunted this year, a a different state than I've ever focused on. And so, you know, I've got ideas that I've researched on, on Google Earth, earth and my maps. And, you know, I know, you know, experience teaches you a lot, both with hunting and with scouting. And I've hunted enough high country mule deer and enough mountain ranges that I can kind of pick what's going to be good and what isn't, or at least have a really good idea. And so, um, I've got some ideas of where I want to be this year and, and also scouting high country muley muleys. It's like a, it's like a three day test in the back country. You know, I, I usually go for a bonsai weekend where I'll go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes I'll just go Friday night after work and it's, I'm getting to the, I'm getting to the wilderness and I, to the back country and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a feel for what it's going to be like because it's, it's so mentally taxing, physically taxing. And, and as much as I run and I, man, I, I am really, um, I've really been training hard here and, and effectively I'm back to my running after bear season, this Hawaii trip, um, back running every day, feeling really good, doing a bunch of elevation, but you get in those mountains and get trying to hunt those mule deer day in, day out. And in the, the heat up there, it is taxing. And so what this three days does is it, it gives me a chance to live in the woods. It gives me a chance to test all my gear, live in the woods, be glassing mule deer. I mean, I really feel like I'm, I'm hunting mule deer in there. I feel like it's a, a three day glimpse into how, what it's going to be like and, and where, how I'm going to survive up in there and, and how I'm going to do. So as much as finding deer and finding good spots, it, it's good for me to just prime myself to get ready for backcountry hunting. Um, so I take these three day bonsai trips and, and I start covering country back in there. Now the, the summer bucks, they, you know, you hear, hear me talk about a lax attitude and they really do. They're really, they're focused so much on feeding and they'll feed in the middle of the day in a lot of these alpine basins. And, and so I cover country like a madman. I cover country ridge lines. I'm just trying to learn country and I'm glassing in all these basins. And I try to put myself in the best spots for morning and evening. That's where you're going to see the most of them. Um, but, but I, I really, I'm hunting all day long and I'm glassing down into these basins. And as it gets middle of the day, excuse me, when it gets middle of the day, I'm glassing down into these drainages, but I kind of slow my roll a little bit. I'll, I'll get in my vantage point or glassing above a drainage and I'll really take my time and I'll, I'll, you know, and then I'll move a few hundred yards down in and I'll get another vantage point on the drainage. And I really want to be low impact this time of year. So I'm hiking the backside of ridges. I'm not skylining myself just like I would be muley hunting it. And it, and it's practice for, for real muley season. And I, I cover a ton of country glassing these drainages, you know, in the the morning and evening, I want to be on a master vantage point, but then I see what's there and then I get a move on and, and glass down into these bold basins. And, and as it gets more into the middle of the day, I'm going to take more time and pick them apart and pick apart the shadows down in there and, and, and really just looking for good bucks and looking for those red coats down in there. Um, so I just really enjoy my high country muley scouting and it seems like I can I can cross a lot of things off off my list so you know where deer aren't going to be and then I start to find these bucks and it seems like 
you know, there'll be a lot of country that these bucks don't hang in in the high country that looks good, but then you'll start to find those those pieces of country that the bucks really like. And, and the numbers will, you know, they blow my mind. I mean, sometimes I'm seeing 100, 150 different bucks on a scouting trip when you really find where they like to be and where they like to live. And, and then I'm just, I'm planning out my hunt from there. You know, where, how am I going to attack this? You know, for me, I'm always looking, okay, where did I see the biggest buck? You know, where did I see these bucks that that are really my target animals? And I almost try to figure those ones out and figure out their pattern in the basins and go, okay, I've got this giant buck in this drainage, you know, and then I saw this giant one over here. And so I kind of start making myself a hit list of those bucks. And once season comes, then I'm going in and trying to focus on those bucks that are on my hit list in there. Um, So... High country scouting for mule deer is just super effective, and so that's where I'll really spend the majority of my time, and especially with with a new unit, and then I I hope to hunt high country Montana this year, maybe high country Colorado, and I I might be in a new unit in Colorado, and Colorado for me is 12 to 16 hours away, and so that's almost too far for a scouting trip. So what I'll try to do is just plan a couple days in front of my hunt and really try to cover country a couple days in front of my hunt to kind of learn and I'll, I'll really do a lot of scouting off off Google Maps and off uh, uh, off my map programs. Um, I really love that Onyx Maps. It's just crazy app for my phone that I can really scout from my couch and really look around at different drainages. But I'll just make myself a bunch of plans. You know, I'll probably have 10 drainages that I'll have circled that I think are good. And then along with those drainages, I'll have a vantage point for each one and a way I'm going to hike in and where I'm going to park my truck, where the roads are, where the trails are. And I'll have all these notes on these places. And so when I do get in there during season, I'll just start covering country and I'll start checking these things off my list uh, of where I want to go and where I want to look. So that's that's the early season scouting. And for us bow guys, that is our best opportunity to, to chase a big buck with his lax summertime attitude. And and uh, he'll be in the Alpen basins, kind of in the more open stuff. And, and, and it's real stockable country. Um, so, so I really focus on that, that early season. Now, as it starts to get into a lot of these bow seasons happen a bit later, and I find that these bucks anywhere from September 1st to September 15th, they kind of shed their velvet. And I'm not sure if it's shedding the velvet and they're getting more testosterone. I actually believe that the, the food up high starts burning off. And, And once that food starts burning off, the bucks move lower down on the hill. And so they don't totally migrate out of country. I find that they move down, you know, maybe a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred feet in elevation. They move down the hills and, and they are like working more timber and more cover, but they're not just living in the timber. They're not timber bucks. They're still coming out in openings. They're just really small openings or maybe sparse timber, maybe avalanche shoots. And they're still in the gnarly high country, rough country. You know, they're just moving down the hill a little bit because the food is burnt off. And so you don't see them in the Alpen basins. And Maybe I've told this story. I try not to repeat myself on the podcast, but when you've got, you know, 50 hours of recording podcasts every once in a while, you forget what you say where or if I did I write that or did I say that on the podcast? But, um, you know, I had this one hunt where I hunted Wyoming and and I hunted Colorado right before Wyoming and and I had scouted Wyoming really hard and I had some giant bucks located. I I had a buck that I thought would go 40 inches wide. 
Um, I had a buck that I thought was nine years old that I had actually hunted when he was a four-year-old or a five-year-old, and he was close to 200 inches then. And, and when I saw him at eight or nine, whatever his age, I could tell it was the same buck. He had the same stickers and inlines, but he was just a giant. He was like a 220-inch mule deer, and I had, I had him scouted, and I had I had all these bucks located and written down, and I had spent, oh, I think maybe eight days scouting three different trips. And so I really had a good feel for the unit. So I hunted Colorado first. My my buddy Dan shot a really nice buck in Colorado. I hunted for, oh, I think it was day nine, the last day of the trip, um, in, in Colorado. And, And I, oh man, I had this stock perfect on this buck. I had, he was, there was two 200 inchers that I was chasing, one with big fronts and one with big backs. And the one with big fronts was bigger. He was wider. He was maybe 32 wide, had these giant 14 inch, um, um, G1, G, G4s. And I forget my G's when I, <laughs> I didn't want to say the wrong one. I always forget to count the eye guard, but he had these giant 14 inch G4s. And then his back tines were really good too. And he just had this wide layout to him. And I hunted these two bucks, the one with big backs and the one with big fronts the entire trip. And, and I, I'd get stocks on these bucks and I had close calls, um, but I just couldn't make it happen. And finally day nine, me and Dan spotted this buck and put him in a good spot. And, uh, gosh, I, I snuck up on this buck and it, it took me a long time to make it to where he was, but I snuck in, made it to this timber patch and, and it was just in really steep rock slide country that I just had to creep my way through this, this loose stuff. So I didn't kick any rocks down or anything. And I actually came in same elevation on this buck and came across the side hill. And he was just bedded in this, this little Island of trees. And it was almost a wide open hillside. There was the one group of trees that the bucks were in, and there was three bucks in there. And then there was a group of trees that was sitting about 60 yards away from him. And and I was able to sneak to those group group of trees. And I got myself set up and on my knees and just like, here we go. And then all of a sudden the bucks got up and they started feeding and they started feeding towards me. And he fed towards me. And I mean, he was right in my wheelhouse, like, you know, 100% shot for me and uh, fed towards me. No idea I was there. And I, I drew back and, and had got a good broadside angle on him. And I, I loose that arrow, no idea I was in the country, and that buck jumped my string, just big as all get out, and and that's the deal with muleys. You could get everything right, but one in four, one in five is going to jump your string, and I have my bow really quiet, heavy arrow, you name it, you know, it's just sometimes there's nothing you can do, so day nine, this buck jumps my string, and he, he rolls and turns around, and like, um, you know, when a when a mule deer jumps your string at 50 yards is different than a whitetail jumping your string at 20 yards, you know, a whitetail jumps your string he ducks down and ducks your arrow well out there at those longer distances this muley you know he ducks and then he rolls and goes to escape from the sound by the time my arrow got there he he was already out of the way of my arrow my arrow hit grass and I just knew that thing jumped my string it was a hundred percent but man oh man did that rattle my cage I mean here you are hunting nine days of some of the toughest 13,000 foot peaks and you're just trying to earn your one opportunity and you get it and and then you miss that buck because he jumps your string gosh I was just heartbroken and so that was day nine that was our last day of the trip me and Dan packed out got his buck out of there he shot just a gorgeous buck maybe I've I've told that story before so I apologize if it's a repeat but 
so it so we finished up that hunt we had drawn colorado and wyoming um used to be a little bit easier to get these high country tags it's starting to get more and more popular but you know we just got to be more creative with our tags and have to put in another year or two of saving points and keep hunting different places and easy to draw tags and so that's kind of been my approach and and I love, I love high country mule deer. And so I love talking about it and I love promoting it. And I, I just, you know, I, I love hunting high country mule deers. I just, uh, mule deer, I just can't hide it. I love writing about it. I love doing it. I love filming it. I love talking about it on the podcast. I, there's just nothing like a, a velvet muley that that's 40% heavier. And he's, he, like you say, he's living in just the gnarliest country you can imagine with, with goats and sheep and near near vertical drops and, and you're shooting them off cliffs like you just dream about. And it, it, it's all this lush mountain hunting. It, I mean, it's alpine hunting. It's mountaineering, but you have to survive up there and try to harvest a mule deer. So I just absolutely love it. But anyways, we came back. I had scouted Wyoming really hard because Wyoming was closer to my house. It's like three, four hours away from my house. And so me and Dan, we came home, we took one day off, one night off, and then we were back into a back-to-back Wyoming. And so we rolled into Wyoming and we got into the first spot that we had scouted where I'd seen that 40-incher in this other buck and we could hardly find a buck in there. It, It had changed. There was a guy in there hunting. Um, saw camp we scouted we hunted around where we had seen a couple of those big bucks they had also a uh, big problem in Wyoming is they feed the goats through there and so they bring through a thousand goats through country and that kind of displaces the deer and so we hunted in there for a couple days you know we did see a couple bucks nothing we made a stock on we were really looking for a next level and so I told Dan I said hey I, I scouted this other spot there were some great bucks in there and including a couple that had gone, you know, close to that 200 inch mark. Like, I think we pick up shop and go in there before we lose any more time. And, and, uh, so we decided to, and so rolled out of the spot we were in, you know, who knows how many miles in elevation with all our gear and back down to the truck and then back into this new spot. And we got into this new spot it, it had just changed. Like I was telling you guys, the the, f- the food had burned off early that year and all those bucks had moved out of those alpine basins. So all these spots I scouted, it's like the bucks weren't there, but they were just lower on the hillside. And so I always think it's good, you know, and whether, whether you're hunting, you know, pressure can displace bucks as well. And and whenever you're hunting them, whether they've moved down off the hill and they're into that later September, October habit, or whether you're hunting early season and there's just pressure in there, like the spot I hunt in Nevada, like if you just work the main ridge, you don't see any of the more mature bucks because all the people can work the main ridge with the main trail and that's where everybody goes with horses or hikes or walks or scouts or hunts. And so you really got to dive off and lose some elevation down these finger ridges and get down in there and look at some bucky country down in there. And so that's what we started doing up in there. And pretty soon we were finding all these bucks we had scouted. They were just down a thousand feet or 1500 feet and they were still in gnarly cliffy high country a little bit more cover and a little bit more challenging to hunt, but but they were there. They were just lower down on the mountain. So I guess that's the whole point to this long-winded story is that, you know, once this, whether it's pressure or whether it, it's in this later season, and a lot of rifle tags open up into this late September, early October season, and these bucks are going to be the same spots where you scouted them just lower on the mountain down and through there. And 
Anyways, I did end up killing one of my nicest bucks, like this 190-inch hardhorn Wyoming buck. It's just a great buck. Super proud of. Sticker on both sides. And um, and I got him late into the hunt. And I think me and Dan hunted like 16, 17 days, you know, almost straight with a one-day break in the middle. I ended up losing about 15 pounds on the hunt. So it, it was a brutal hunt. But I finally spotted this buck, and he was out feeding by himself in a little avalanche chute. And and I was able to run around him and then get a get a perfect shot in him and double lung him and ran down the hill and was able to get him. You know, one of one of my biggest accomplishments and and nicest deer. So proud of that buck. But um, you just have to you have to get up off that top and off that main ridge and off that main trail and drop some elevation. So especially if you're hunting the later season, you know that's where these bucks disappear to. And so. That's good knowledge to have that if you're scouting for one of these seasons, you scout these bucks and just look for the country a little bit lower that they can be in and and find ways that you're going to get down off spur ridges and glass kind of some of this lower country and you're not totally hunting them down on the flats or down off you know, the, the openings down even lower where they'd be rut zone, where they'd be finding their does, but they're just a thousand feet higher from lower from the ridge or 1500 feet lower from the ridge. And so I think that's a good tip. And if, if you're scouting for the rut, you know, that's that same thing as, as, as trying to scout for elk, because where you find them in the summer range is not going to be where you find them in the winter range. And, you know, the, the mule deer just ruts so much different than an elk, you know, and an elk, he's like, I'm going to use this analogy that guy used. And so I'm going to quote him. He says an elk ruts like Connor McGregor. He's brash. He's, he's bold. Here I am. These are my cows. I'll fight for them. Oh, this is my herd, you know, and they'll travel with this herd and protect them. Um, you know, with deer, they're a little bit different. They're like James Bond. They're, they, they have all these tricks and what they do is they'll they'll find a doe and it's always good like if you find a group of does to glass around those does and and you'll a lot of times you'll find a buck that'll he'll peel off one of those does and then he'll take her in more secluded country to rudder you know up in a timber pocket or up by herself to rudder and 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 so mule deer just rut a little bit different and they also aren't going to hang and protect those does they're only going to hang with them when one's going to come into estrus and be ready to bread and and after he's done or he's breader he's moving on looking for a new doe he's covering country again looking for another group of does looking for another one that's that's going to come into heat so they, they just kind of rut a little bit different. And, and I think when you're scouting for a rut hunt, you know, you're just not as effective because the deer aren't going to be in the same places. But what I like to do in a rut hunt is I like to, uh, gosh, I forgot to turn my phone off. Just always. Um, what I like to do during a rut hunt is I like to find, you know, where, where the does are and then keep tabs on those does and then, and then find the bucks as they, as they rut those does. And, I also find that during a rut hunt, it seems like the easier to find does that are just off the main roads and and easy to glass and easy to see, it's where a lot of these younger bucks will rut these does, especially in the high pressure places that I hunt. And where I find the bigger bucks are these secluded drainages and secluded basins. And these bucks get old for a reason. They, they get old because they have good habits and they have good places they hide through the early season, the mid season, and also during the rut. And they lose their mind during the rut and make mistakes as they're looking for does. But 
it, it's like they, they don't, a lot of times you just don't catch them in those easy spots, the spots off the main roads, because if they rut there, they get killed as a three or a four-year-old before they ever reach their full maturity. And so these older bucks and whether, you know, I don't think it's something they're they're thinking about, but I just, they, they like to be so secluded and away from pressure And the way for them to get older is to rut drainages that don't have a lot of hunting pressure. And so these drainages that are tougher to get to, tougher to glass, um, you can't see off a main road, you can't drive to it. You know, these are the drainages that these bucks will rut and then they get older because they're rutting in good spots. So I really believe that. So when I'm looking for a good rut spot, I'm looking for secluded drainages and, and I, I, I look for the, the back country in between the roads and, and, and in off of this, the, the, the main thoroughfares and trails. And I, I like to get in these back drainages and find good vantage points in there. And then I like to find the does in that country. And that's usually where I find the bigger bucks. And so, you know, scouting for rut hunts, a lot of times what you're doing is you're just scouting country again. And, and it's important, you know, when you're scouting for, for mule deer is to get a feel for the entire unit you're hunting or a huge area. I know when I'm hunting the rut, I'm not hunting a small space or, or one location. You know, I'm, I may be covering hundreds of square miles that, you know, and I, I cover those locations and I don't like to look for them off main roads, but I, I am finding populations and what deer like. And then I'm making hikes into country, into secluded spots and glassing those spots and seeing what does and bucks are in there. So I just think it's important to get a feel for your unit and whether, you know, if you're going on a rut hunt, you show up a couple days early and really find where those does are hanging and, and find some of those more secluded groups of does. And that's, that's how I do good during the rut, hunting the rut. Um, and, and also, you know, it, it just made me think of something, um, made me think of hunting bulls. And I know I'm jumping from subject to subject and back and forth, but w- when I'm hunting bulls, I've also found that a lot of times the, the cows you see and the bulls you're hunting during the rut are, are not always the, the biggest bulls in the group. A lot of these big bulls have learned over time that they come down and they breed these groups of cows during the night. And, and that's usually when the cows come into estrus is during the night and they bugle hard, they fight, they, they breed cows. And then these big bulls have learned, they'll just leave the cows. And one of the biggest bulls I ever hunted that, you know, it, it's tough. Anytime you hear somebody say a 400 inch bull, you automatically think, well, he overjudged it. But the, the, you know, one of the bulls that I hunted that, that I really believe went 400 inches, it was a, just a giant bull. And, and he was down rutting the cows at night and they came out and started coming up the hill and he was chasing uh, maybe 20 cows or so. And so I started moving in and making a play on this transitional area as I had a good wind and I got down in there and got right on the cows. And, and, uh, pretty soon there's this smaller 325 bull in there. It's like, where is that bull I saw? And I look way over on the hillside and the bull's all the way by himself, leaving those cows to go to this secluded drainage to be away from those cows. And I, I tried to catch him and find where he went. I never found where he went, but then I caught him down in the cows the next morning. What he was doing is coming in and breeding these cows at night and, and then going out on his own. He wasn't going to be seen with all these cows during the day. And so just, just a random tip that I'm throwing in there as I'm talking, but a lot of these bigger bulls aren't hanging with the cows all day long they you know they'll and, and a lot of times what i see too is i'll see a big bull that'll bed you know a few hundred yards away from his cows where he can just keep an eye on them but a lot of these great big bulls aren't aren't living with the cows and leaving them in fact this year on my film hunt um i, I there was a great big 360 inch bull 
and he wasn't with the cows the night before. I never saw him with the cows that day hunting them, but he'd move into those cows at night and breed them. And I finally saw him in the evening coming into those cows to breed them. And so a lot of these bigger bulls, you know, are coming in to breed these cows at night. And so just be on the watch for that. If you're really hunting these giant bulls that a lot of these giant bulls, they won't live with the cows during the day. They're, they're playing a smart game and a long game on these cows, but just a random thought I had, but so, so you, you kind of get a feel for, for scouting, um, whether you're scouting elk, um, high country mule deer, you kind of have to scout for the season you're going to hunt. Um, antelope scouting is kind of a, a different beast as well. Like, um, so, so antelope, they, they're dang near full grown by now. And, and I'm not the best one on hunting antelope. Like I have a ton of experience hunting antelope, but I hunt them locally around where I'm at a few different big drainages that are close. And I, I always, I hunt them exclusively with my bow and I've killed an antelope the last 10 years running. So I've done really well, but we don't get a lot of giant ones around here. We get a lot of 70 to 75 inches, which are really good antelope that, that I'm happy and pleased with. But I've just found that antelope with a bow and arrow I need multiple stocks in this open country. I can't pick out one buck and decide that's the buck I'm going to kill because, you know, I may make a stock and blow him and then he's on private ground and then, you know, I don't have any chance at him. So, you know, I'll take a chance at an 80 incher, but, um, pretty much I'm just looking for something that's 70 plus 72 plus really decent, respectable buck. That's what I hold my standards to. And so I look for those bucks and then hunt those bucks when they give me a chance. And so, I've never really drawn a premium antelope archery uh, antelope tag altogether, archery or um, rifle. But the these antelope bucks, they they're really, you know, they have an area that they live in and they protect. So if you can find where this area where this area is that this this buck's protecting, he'll be there through the summer. He'll be there through the rut, and then as it gets later season, he may migrate out and group up. But for the most part, during your hunt, whether it's rifle or a bow. He, he's going to have his area that he protects and lives in. And, and within that area, he's going to have a place where he waters too. And so if you're keying on a, a water source, you know, that water source is a hub for that buck's area. And so you can really key into that water source, uh, find, find a big buck, you find his area, and then you keep scouting that area and find where he's watering at. And it's tough to kill them on water too. A lot of them are watering at night. Um, during the rut, they have to water more, but they really come in on pins and needles. And, uh, you know, I'm not much of a water guy. I'm spot and stock because I just like how much it improves my spot and stock skill and what it teaches me out there. But, you know, you got to you gotta take the easy ways with the hard ways. And definitely, you know, uh, an antelope's Achilles heel is to hunt them on water and hunt them in a blind where he can't see you and catch them coming in. And there's a lot of thought that goes into it and a lot of skill that goes into setting up in the right places when you're hunting antelope. But they really have a hub or an area. And I think it's the most important with hunting antelope that you cover the entire unit. You cover country looking for them and, and do a lot of glassing from your truck. And you're also looking at secluded spots for antelope, but you do a lot of glassing for antelope from your truck trying to find them and, and covering hundreds of miles. And Guy told this story when we were talking scouting that uh, Mike Eastman, he was it was a paid hunt, uh, or Eastman's was reimbursing him for the hunt. And, and he turned in his mileage. 
I can't remember if it was 1,300 or 1,800 miles he drove on gravel roads to kill this antelope buck he had killed, but that's covering country, and that's what it takes to find those boxes, is covering all that country, finding their area, and keying in, and and guy also talked where they find giant bucks, you know, will be a good area, whether it's good feed or, or, or good features or whatever it is, that, that big bucks just seem to be drawn to that area. And so the bigger, more mature bucks, dominant bucks, you'll kill them in the same area year after year. Um, so if you drew a good antelope tag, make sure you're covering country, find where that bucks area is, and, and really key into that area he's in in there. And then try to hunt him from there. And you might not see him every day in there. His area may be a fairly big area, but he's going to be in there somewhere. And just keep trying to locate him. And it's amazing how antelope can hide in the wide open. But So so those are some of the, the tips on scouting and some of the tactics that, that I use when, when scouting. And, and like I say, I'm, I'm ready to get after it here. I, I got my goals set for the season, starting to kind of figure out my tags here. And I didn't have a good drawing year, but... Yeah, I'm still going to be out hunting hard and be chasing trophy critters and just be a little bit more creative with my tags. And so um, I'm just super stoked. I mean, this is the time of year where I really put in the hard work and really up in my mileage, like I was telling you guys, running every day. In fact, I'm going to I'm gonna finish this recording and, and be out tonight. And uh, I've really had two good back-to-back runs the last couple of days. So I'll, I'll take a look a little bit easier tonight, but still get some elevation and get some good mileage and it's 90 plus degrees out. So it'll be a good heat run for me, but I just really like getting my body ready. And I like being, I like being in in as good a shape as I can be in. And and I like to really peak during hunting season. So for me, it's running miles. These scouting trips really help to get me in shape. I use them covering a ton of miles. I have my pack on, I'm camping, living in the woods, testing backcountry gear and and I'm also going to do the Exos hike this year, Exos death hike, and uh, going to do that with those guys that's coming up. Um, it, it's really tough for me as I want to get all my scouting time in, but it's just a great group of guys, and we're going to do all 40-plus miles in the mountains um, in, in 24 hours or something like that. So anytime I can um, endure and I just like, um, I like the tougher things are the, the more I tend to like them nowadays, like the more I like to suffer because I, I know it's going to take suffering to accomplish my goals. And so I just try to prepare myself in that way. And, and so go, you know, this is a, a perfect excuse to get out with a good group of guys, you know, hopefully, you know, a couple of them I can record podcasts with, you know, maybe later in time, I'm sure, you know, it's going to be tough on the trail and, and putting out that exertion, but it's going to be a good chance to suffer and put in some good miles and, and meet some good guys. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'll, I'll get out and do that. And then I, Oh, I'd like to scout. We're in July. Now I leave, um, right in the first part of August. I'm going to do that, that caribou hunt with my buddy up there in Alaska. We got a really good plan that we're putting together for that. And so, um, I mean, really we're talking, Boy, hunting season is only four or five weeks away, so so I've really got to keep after it. Running every single day, doing my exercises with my back. I you know I I, I like to mix in 
I like to be in total body fitness and and I don't want my back to be my weak point as I know I'm going to have to use it quartering and packing out animals. So, you know, I'm constantly doing my my pull-ups and and uh, use my kettlebell workout that really works my lower back, working a lot of my core and my abs. And so I'm I'm working those exercises in, but really the big one for me is trail running and then these scouting missions, having my pack on my back and getting my back used to it. And and with bear season, I've done a lot of walking with my pack on and and, and then this Hawaii hunt, hunting in the heat and doing a lot of walking with my backpack on. And so, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling great about season. I uh, just absolutely can't wait, but I do have to get after the scouting right now as we're talking. Um, it's just all I can think about looking at maps every single night, Google earth every single night and see if I can't find one of these giant next level bucks and, and bulls too. I just, um, I really want to up my level and it's, you know, hunting anything gets me excited. Um, but, but hunting giant animals is just like ups the degree of difficulty. They're so tough to find. They're so, you know, tough to harvest. They're, they're the pinnacle of their species. And so, you know, to put these goals on myself that are to, to harvest upper echelon animals, you know, is, is, um, what I live for. I love the challenge. Um, and it, you know, it, draws out my hunt too you know if I was to shoot the first good buck I see it might be over in a couple days I like the full experience I want these hunts to go in late in the days like I say I like to suffer you know I I want to suffer I want to do mile after mile I want to be dog tired I want to I want to push myself and, and and push myself to the limit of what I'm capable of and that's what I enjoy the most and that's why I enjoy backcountry bow hunting whether it's elk deer i'm ready to push myself for antelope i love antelope it's just hunting in the heat and and really tough stalks on those things you can't cut any corners which i love you know if if you if you expose yourself even a little bit or even think you're exposing yourself you know you're busted by those things and so it really sharpens my skills and gets me ready for everything. Um, I've never harvested a caribou, and so you know I really want redemption in Alaska. And we're doing this cheap trip, and we're going to do the haul road, but we're also going to float a river system that we're going to drop a bike off at the bottom and float with a raft down and through there. Um, so, so I'm really looking forward to that. I really want to get it done on a nice caribou and kind of have redemption on my Alaska trip last year, which I loved every minute of my Alaska trip, but. Um, you know, eat, eating tags when you set these goals at the, at the beginning of the year and you work hard towards these goals all year round. I, I mean, you, you're bound to eat a tag now and again, but, um, you know, the goal is to fill my tag with a quality animal. I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's why I'm working so hard. That's why I shoot my bow so much. That's why I run all these hard miles is, is to be effective and efficient in the backcountry and to come out on top, to, to set my goal at a trophy animal and to go in there and do it. And so when I fall short, like on the Alaska trip last year, my, my New Mexico trip was a bust last year. And so, you know, I've kind of got these bad tastes in my mouth that have kept me training and working harder and, and making sure, you know, that I'm, I'm not resting on my laurels and not resting on, on past season successes. I, I want it this year, you know, and also didn't harvest a bear this year, which, um, you know, in, in bears for me, it's tricky when you're, you're spotting stock, plus you're looking for a mature boar. And there was definitely a couple bears I could have shot, but, you know, looking for, for a trophy bear that I'm really going to be psyched with, with, with what I kill. And 
man, I was close on a big jet black there, kind of my last day before leaving to Hawaii. And, and I knew I had this Hawaii trip and it was my opportunity to go hunt the Axis rut, go have fun over there. And, and what a great trip to sharpen my skills. I think antelope sharpened my skills. Those Axis deer really sharpened them. Just some really good stocks, shots, long, you know, not long shots. I guess my longest shot was 60 yards that I, I took on a doe that I just nailed. She was done. But, um, you know, the buck I shot was 53. I shot, um, yeah, one at 60, one at 53. I shot, um, let's see, I had, I had one at 40, um, couple at 30. I think I had another one in there in the, the 50 yard mark, but I mean, the bow is just on and shoot. And I, I did miss that one axis buck where the wind drifted my arrow or I tucked it too tight to the tree where I hit that tree. And, you know, that stuff just happens, but you just learn from it. And, and it was almost too tight of a window to try to fit it in. I maybe should have let them walk out a little bit more. Or maybe it was a high degree of difficulty with the, you know, 10 to 20 mile an hour crosswind trying to shoot them at, at 53 yards. You know, maybe it was that, but you just try to learn from everything and, and get better and improve from it. But, um, I, I'm just, I'm looking so forward to testing myself this season. I just, you know, the years get up there and I'm still super young and I, I feel like I'm in my prime, but as you get older, you just got to keep working harder, you know, and I, I want to do this, you know, late into my years into my fifties and sixties and and seventies, if I can, you know, where I just, where I keep hunting hard, I keep my body in, in good shape and I can keep testing myself. It's, it's the, the biggest adrenaline dump I've ever found and, and the most exciting, thrilling thing that I've ever found um, is bow hunting. I just absolutely love it, and I want to continue to work hard at it and do it and enjoy it to the fullest and not have limitations. And to do that, I, I need to work hard. And so every year, I want to be the best version of myself. And and this year's no different. I, I'm 37 now, which isn't old, but you know, you're not in your 20s anymore. You know, things things hurt a little bit more. Gosh, I I don't even know if they hurt a little bit more. I. I don't, you know, in your 20s, you can pretty much do anything, but I, I'd say I'm in the best shape I've ever been in at 37. My knees don't ache, my my hips don't ache, um, but but I think I got to just keep working hard at it and and, and keep pushing myself and, and never rest or, or, you know, settle for where I'm at. I just want to keep striving for, for more and more, and I... I love the public land game and, and, uh, you know, maybe getting tougher to draw tags, but I'm just going to be creative with it and, and save my points. And when I do draw, you know, some of these different tags that, that are sought after tags, I'm, I'm going to go in and have a huge knowledge base in there, but I just want to keep evolving as a bow hunter. I, I want to keep getting better. I want to keep getting smarter. I want to keep getting better at scouting. I, I just love putting everything into it. I, I want to get as much time doing it as I can. And that's a big one in today's day and age. We're so busy with work and now I've taken on this podcast and I've got my writing and I've got my family and I, I've got all these responsibilities. Um, so so managing my time is a big deal too. And, and I just... I prepare my family for it and, and they know that I absolutely love it. And, and I, I come back wanting to be a better father and, and better husband and, and, and do more. And, you know, I, I always think to myself, you know, you, you be the man you want to be, um, be the person you want to be. And, and I love doing it and they give me support and, and I kind of prep them for that, you know, as, as season's coming, I'm going to go hard. And I think every year I add days on to my hunting season. So it's really not fair. I keep moving the goal line, but my wife just keeps supporting me, which is so cool. But, 
Um, I, I just I just want to continue to put days in. And when you're trying to harvest trophy animals, it's you need more time. You need to put more time into it. And so I'm I'm constantly sneaking in a new hunt, a uh, new time of year. You know, now I'm I'm pretty much hunting um, nine months out of the year almost. You know, because uh, let's see, I hunt uh, April bear season's open so i'm april may june hunting bears this year i hunted you know june in hawaii you know so april may june that's three months and then i start again in august four september hunting bulls five october hunting bulls hunting deer six november i'm hunting the rut that's seven um December this year if I don't fill my Idaho tag early I've got December you know so that's eight months and then um, I usually fit in a January hunt January coups I'm gonna do this year so I'm pretty much hunting nine months out of the year so I really can't complain but I've just over the years I've structured my life I've saved my pennies and it's what I absolutely love to do more so than anything else in the world and so that's what I put my effort towards so Anyways, I get rambling, but I guess I am the only one talking on the podcast, so um, I can't really be quiet. So I just sharing my my thoughts and my feelings and what bow hunting means to me. And, and I know it hits home with you guys, and I, I know you guys love it. Um, I love the messages I get and, and the support I get for the podcast. And it's just great that I have this platform where I can share what I've learned over the years as I'm always evolving and learning and paying attention, paying attention to my surroundings and and I'm just, I'm just like you guys, you know, I may get a lot of time and do a lot of hunts and be fortunate and, and make a little bit off the hunting industry here or there. It's definitely not enough to make a living. I mean, I'm still working a full-time construction job, but you know, I'm fortunate in that regard, but I'm the same as you guys. I'm, I'm a blue collar bow hunter. I'm looking for these trips that I can do that are under a thousand dollars that are going to be this awesome backcountry bow hunting adventure. And, and that's what I love to do. I mean, it almost bothers me. You know, I really love my moose hunt last year, moose and caribou, but with the flow planes, I mean, it got up there in expense to where, you know, I, I just try to in, embrace and enjoy the whole experience, but it was almost too much for me to spend. I really need the the more inexpensive trips, you know, as it's money's tough to make and I, I like to save it and I'm frugal, but but it there's nothing like going on a bow hunting adventure. And it was worth every penny to go on that adventure, but I really love the under a thousand dollar adventures. And there's a ton of them for us out there. And and, and so I'm I'm just like you guys, where I'm just a blue collar bow hunter trying to get the most out of my bow hunting and the most out of my season. And so um, season gets here, I'm going to send it. <laughs> I, I'm going to absolutely go for it as much as I possibly can. And so I, I'm just super jacked for this season. Bow's shooting good, got all my gear together, trips planned. Now all I need to do is put in some good scouting time and, and uh, make sure I'm in peak physical condition and and uh, I'm going to go for it. So, and, and I know you guys are too. And Again, I just appreciate all the support and glad that I have this platform that I can I can share information. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed today's podcast. It's it's a solo podcast. So this is back to my roots when I started this thing. I used to just get on the mic and just talk and let it come out. And that's uh, 
what what this podcast was is I wanted to get another solo one in there. Um, like I say, a lot of it is I screwed up my recording coming back with Guy, but um, I'll get another one recorded with Guy as he is just an absolute wealth of information. And, and I love the back and forth between me and him as we can compare notes and compare what works and what doesn't. And, and uh, it's, it's really cool to talk to him. He, you can just tell you know what a good hunter he is. And so um, always fun to talk to him. So we'll, we'll get him back on the podcast. I got good guests coming up here. I'm going to just keep recording like a, like a madman, do some of these, these solo ones I can mix in and see how you guys like these, see how the download numbers go on these things. So, um, yeah, if you like the solo ones, uh, make sure to reach out and let me know and, and, uh, we'll, we'll keep sneaking them in there in between, uh, the other guest ones as I, as I love talking to good bow hunters and having good guests and, and, and that's been really fun for me, the back and forth with these guys. And you kind of, you play on what they say and they play on what you say and you just you, you just talk about you know the blue collar bow hunting and it just kind of comes out and so I think those ones are really cool so I want to continue to do those and and just get out good content to you guys um you know one a week is my goal but if I can mix an extra one in there and and uh you guys like it and, and it shows good numbers then I'll I'll just keep mixing them in as much as I can so all right, I better end it. I've been rambling long enough here, back and forth on topics and everything else. I better go get in my heat run here and, and uh, keep working hard. I know season's coming. So um, thanks, as always, for the support, guys. Uh, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon.